Thanks for being here this morning. If you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn, uh, look in your phone or use the Pew Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. I think it's on seven, page 739 of the Pew Bibles. Daniel chapter 3. And I would encourage you, we're going to look at the whole chapter. So I'd encourage you to, to open your, the scriptures with me this morning and just read and follow along uh, with me. I think that's going to be most helpful for you. And it, it is God's word. Daniel chapter 3. We've been working our way um, kind of through Daniel the last few weeks. And we're going to read Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews among you who have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
that Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for this account of history. Lord, thanks for the reality of it and the hope that we can get from it. And this morning, Lord, I pray, the Holy Spirit, you would just come and move and remove every distraction from us. It would stop us from hearing from you. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us through your word like you do. You would encourage our hearts and draw us closer to you. God, I pray you to help us and encourage us and wake us to your truth. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In 2005, the Chicago White Sox won the World Series, or they went on a World Series run and they they won, which I think, if you're a Sox fan, they're hoping maybe to do that again this year. But one of the, the... what. What the team did when they took off on that is they, they, they grabbed onto a song like most teams do or some theme that it's carried them through. And if you remember, if you're a Sox fan, well, the song that the, the 2005 White Sox held onto was Don't Stop Believing, a, a, a 20-some-year-old song that these guys picked up and they, they sang that and that carried them through, Don't Stop 
believe in. That's the context of Daniel. Daniel was written to the exiles of Babylon, the, the Jewish people who have been exiled to, to Babylon, and he's writing to them, and as waves of them kept getting exiled and brought to Babylon away from Jerusalem, and they're wondering, what's God doing? What, what, what's going to happen with us? The book of Daniel was written to help them to not stop believing. To, to encourage them that this is where actually, not Jerusalem, but Babylon is where God's working. They didn't understand that. It didn't seem like that's the way it would be. But this is what this is account. So this very familiar story uh, is true. And what it teaches is that God is able to deliver his people who are in the furnace of adversity. And the challenge is, so remain faithful, even as the fires flame in your life. If you are in a furnace of some adversity, the call of Daniel and the call for us today who are still, we are sojourners and exiles, still waiting for our final place. And so we are called to don't stop believing that God is able to move in all the fiery furnace situations that you deal with, all, all the fires of politics that consume us sometime and, and, and want to burn us. And you, we, we, we feel it, or, or family struggles, all the fires of family difficulties and conflicts, all the fires of relationship difficulties or work problems or direction issues or just temptations or addictions, all of those fires, all those flames, the things that want to burn us up, God is able to deliver his people who are in the flames of adversity. Daniel's context of this is, this is years after Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, he brought, first of all, he brings all these guys from, from Jerusalem. He brings the, the, this young group of guys in. Daniel and his four friends say, we're not going to eat the king's meat. And God shows you how you can live faithfully in an unfaithful place. And Daniel and his friends do it. And then in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Nobody else can interpret it. And Daniel and his friends pray. And Daniel's able to interpret his dreams because God is the one who's the revealer. Of secrets and, Dan, and Nebuchadnezzar's dream was that there was this big giant statue he saw, a head of gold, and then a chest of silver. And Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, in the dream, you are the head of gold. And at the end of that, Nebuchadnezzar realizes this is God answered my prayer. Daniel answered his my 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 the, the dream. God, this God of Daniel is great and wonderful. And then about 18 years go by. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not teenagers. They're men. They've been tra trained in Babylon. They've been educated. They've been elevated in their position. And life has gone on. And Nebuchadnezzar maybe had this idea. And, and he forgot the truth, but he remembered that he was the head of gold. And he said to himself, who has this great, vast kingdom, and he was conquering nations and bringing other people in from different tribes and different cultures and different languages, and it's becoming a political mess, and he's trying to figure out, how do I unify all these people? And so he decides to build this giant 
statue. We're just going to work our way through the passage. This is the statue that comes up, this giant statue. It's 90 feet tall, a 90 feet tall statue, and it looks weird. It's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. It's some kind of obelisk or, or just some kind of, nobody's really sure what it is, but just it's this huge, weird-looking thing. It probably had a big platform, but it's very nine feet wide and 90 feet tall. Kind of picture the Washington Monument. Maybe on the top there was some type of image to it, but it was, it was an odd-looking thing. It was gold and gold-plated all the way through. And maybe Nebuchadnezzar said, you know what, I, I had a dream where I was gold, and so maybe I'll just, I'll just make this thing all gold. And nine times in this passage, if you noticed, it said, and Nebuchadnezzar set it up. Nebuchadnezzar set it up. This was how they would highlight things. They, 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 didn't, they couldn't emphasize when you wrote back in this day. This is what they would highlight. And what they were highlighting is Nebuchadnezzar, nine times in this passage, it said, Nebuchadnezzar set it up. He set it up. This was an issue of pride for Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted the world to see how great he was. And wherever he, people saw this, they said, that, that giant thing, that thing of gold, that's Nebuchadnezzar. That's his power, and he set it up in the province of Babylon, maybe just right outside the city on the plains of Dura, which, if you'll remember in Genesis chapter 11, that, that, that's where the Tower of Babel was originally set up. And years later, Nebuchadnezzar still trying to say that he is in control and that he set it up, sets up this giant 90 feet tall statue to show his greatness, to show his power, and to show the purpose of this thing was to show unity. He was trying to figure out how do you take all these people who he's captured and all these, uh, these tribes and nations, and how do, you, how do you create some type of unity with them when there's all these differences politically, culturally, and religiously? And he thought to himself, I'll build this giant statue, I'll just giant image of gold, let people see our tower. We understand this. You can go to major cities all across this country and see giant skyscrapers with the person's name on it who owns it or who built it because they want you to know how powerful and how great they are. This is what Nebuchadnezzar was doing, and his purpose was this will somehow build some unity together. We'll get people together, and they'll have something to rally upon, the greatness of Nebuchadnezzar and what he can do. And so he calls all the people, all the, the who's who of everywhere, he calls them all around to see it and to be a part of it and to come down and to worship it and to bow down to it. That's its purpose, is for unity, politically, culturally, and religiously. But I just want us to notice the patheticness of this statue. Do you notice how many times it talked about the music's going to play? Over and over it told us that. The music's going to do this, and the music's going to do this. And when you hear the music, I want you to bow down. If not, you're going to be burned, which is a thing that they did. Jeremiah talks about that happening. But, but the author of this, writing to the people of God in exile, they would repeat things. When you, when you see repeated things, that's like highlighting but this is almost like satire over and over and over again telling us that, listen, when they hear the music, all these people came, and they came. They did come. 
They, they came from everywhere. They came out to this plain, and when you hear the music, bow down, and, and they do. The, the literal translation of one of those verses is almost like as soon as they were hearing, they were falling down. Here's all the great people of the land, all the ones who have power, all the ones who have position. They come out into this field in the middle of nowhere. They see this weird-looking, nine-foot-wide, 90-foot-high, gold-plated thing, and they're told when the music plays, you instantly bow down or you're going to get burnt. And you know what they did? They went out to the field, they heard the music play, and as soon as the music played, they bowed down and they worship this thing. Could you imagine seeing that scene? This is the best in the world. And as soon as music plays, without thinking, they just bow down to it. Just mindlessness. And this is, this is the look. And every day in our culture, for you, music plays. And you bow down to something. The Bible says our hearts are idol-making things. And our culture has put all kinds of things to music to call you to bow down. And in the morning, every morning you wake up, there is a call that comes out to you in some way. Come worship this. Come worship this. This is where your satisfaction is going to come. This is where, this come, worship, worship this. The call is constant and people do it, but it's empty. I mean, it's hollow. It's shallow. The wisest in the land are bowing down to a nine-foot-wide, 90-foot thing because it's shiny and it's got music going to it. Life apart from God is packed with all kinds of activity. I mean, we know this. Our lives are filled with activity. But apart from God, that will always end in emptiness. I mean, this is the message of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes says, the, the writer, he, he looked at life and he said, play the music so I can go bow down to something. And he tried everything that the music played to. It, power, I'll, I'll play the music of power, I'll bow down to it, I want to be satisfied. Play the music to money, I'll play it, I'll bow down and I'll be satisfied. Play the music to lust and sex, I'll, I'll bow down to it and be satisfied. He tried them all, the music played. And at the end of it he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It doesn't produce what it says it's supposed to produce. We know this. We, we feel this. We, 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 maybe even as the people of God, struggle to deal with this and even believe it ourselves. But the reality is, we all still, and the world still sings the U2 song, we still haven't found what we're looking for. The music's playing in our world. And there's shiny things to bow down to. And we're called to bow down to them regularly every, every day. And millions and millions of people, wise, smart, intelligent, educated, who seem to have things together, they're doing it. But they still would say, in their heart of hearts, apart from God, we still haven't found what we're looking for. I don't know if you heard the news this week, but Norm MacDonald, who's a comedian, died at 61. I don't know if you know who Norm MacDonald is, but 
for some reason, this, this stood out to me. Norm MacDonald, he had been suffering with cancer for nine years and told nobody about it. Nobody knew. And so as you go back and listen to some of his, his jokes, and he, he talked often about death. He, he once said in an interview, I, I can't stop myself from constantly thinking over death. And nobody knew. They just thought he was being funny and, oh, come on, Norm. But, but it was on his mind constantly. And Norm, as a comedian, like a lot of comedians are, they think deeply about life and things. They notice life. They examine life. That's where they get their material from. And he was that kind of God. He was searching many ways to figure out well, what is all this about? What's life about? He tried and looked at Christianity. And then he would look at other things and he'd come back to Christianity. He'd come back to faith. He wasn't sure. He said this one time in an interview. He went to Christianity for a while and he looked at it and studied it. And then he, he, he went over to Judaism and tried to look at that for a while. And he said this. He, goes, I, he said once, I have a rabbi who I talk to a lot. He's a real scholar. My pastor doesn't know anything. I mean anything. He's, he's just a pleasant guy. If you ask him a direct question, he'll go, what, didn't you hear my sermon? But then he said this, but his sermons always are like how to be a nice fellow or some nonsense. I don't know who his pastor was. I don't know what church he was going to. I don't know what they believed. But that statement that the sermons I'm hearing are nothing because all they are is how to be a nice fellow or some nonsense. Norm MacDonald got it. He saw that even in religion, music can be played and there's nothing to it. He, 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 he struggled with it. He went on later to say in some interview, and he had a Christian friend, and I hope his Christian friend talked to him and knew his situation before he died this past week at 61 years of age. But when one of his interviews, he said this, Norm MacDonald did about Christianity. He said, some people believe that man is divine, like kind of a hippie idea. I, I can't believe that because I know my own heart, and I know that's not true. Other people believe that we're wretched like the cynics or the atheists, would, would believe we're all just wretched nothingness, just animals, just creatures. I can't believe that. It doesn't make any sense that we're just beasts. I will say that Christianity has this interesting compromise when we're both divine and wretched. And there's this middleman. That's the Savior. That through him we can become divine. But we're born wretched. I kind of like that one because it sort of makes sense. I don't know where Norm MacDonald is right now, but what I do know is here is there was a man who looked at life, was very successful, suffered, and still had lots of questions. He saw lots of statues with gold things on them, and then he's told to bow down to them, and he didn't quite get it but he knew 
that there had to be a different way. There had to be an answer to all these problems and situations. So here's all these people. Every time the music plays, it's bowing down, but there's, but there's three guys that don't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they take this stand. They, they, they show up like they're supposed to. They come. We're not sure where Daniel was. Maybe he was out of the country. But Shadrach, Meshach, they, they do what they can. They, they show up to the king's re- request. But, but they don't bow down. They went as far as they could go. But they weren't going to bow down to disobey God. And, and people saw this. These guys were Jews, they were exiled, they'd been brought into Babylon, they'd become successful over the years. And in verse 8 it says, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Some other people saw this, and it wasn't like that they, they had to do this. It says they maliciously accused the Jews. They were probably really upset that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got my job. These guys are exiles from, Jew, from Jerusalem. They shouldn't have my position of power. Uh, we, we should have this power. They didn't bow down, so they, they were going to make their move. So they went to Nebuchadnezzar, and, and they accused him uh, viciously, almost like they were, it says, They ate the pieces of the Jews. I mean, they were ripping these guys apart. They could not wait to share that they did not bow down, so hopefully that the king would praise them. And they made this stand, and Nebuchadnezzar is is furious about it. He's absolutely enraged, and so he calls them in. He knows that he can't just burn them right away. He has to do justice, find out the story. Is it true? So he calls them in in verse 13, and he says to them, Nebuchadnezzar answered them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? This is what he highlighted. You don't worship my gods? This was a spiritual thing. This wasn't just a political stance. This was a stance between worshiping God or worshiping a false god. The emphasis was religious, and King Nebuchadnezzar knew it. That was what he was hoping for. You've got to be all in. And, and they say, and he says, now, now if, maybe you didn't understand it the first time. Here's what you've got to do. Go bow down. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, and he plays the music, go and bow down, and he cross-examines them. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stand there with confidence, and they say, we, we don't have to answer you on this matter. There's nothing for us to say. We're not going to defend ourselves because obviously you know we didn't bow down. We have nothing else to say. We are not going to defend ourselves. What did they think when they walked over there? When they got to that place and they saw everything that was taking place. I mean, these were men. They weren't teenagers. Did they say to themselves, hey, guys, we could, we could possibly just bow down. Like, we don't have to really mean it. We can just dip down a little bit, and then, you know, what's it matter? It's a few minutes. No one's going to know. Or they could have said, we'll, we'll kind of kneel. You ever been with somebody who prays in a restaurant, and you're embarrassed about it, you know, and then you kind of, they're praying, and you're kind of doing like that, and you're not really sure you want to be seen as a Christian in the restaurant praying? They could have done that. Or, or they could have said, 
Or they could have bowed, but they didn't. They said, we're not going to do it. We're going to take the fire. And they stood. They were obstinate about it. Why did they do that? Why did they make that stand? What was the big deal? In Exodus 20, when they were being raised in Jerusalem, as little kids growing up, and they heard, they'd hear the word of God, they'd hear the... The first five books of the Old Testament, Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5 says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And they remembered being told by their parents, Deuteronomy 6, 13, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. And and they they didn't walk away from it. They stood obedient to it. They had resolved with Daniel in chapter 1 not to eat the king's meat. They'd made a decision years ago. Years ago when they were teenagers, they'd made the decision that we're going to stand for God. We're going to follow what God wants us to do. So when it came to this situation 18 years later, it's not like they had to make a new decision. They didn't have to think, well, what are we going to do? All they had to do was just manage the decision that they had made years ago. That's what we were called to do. You, don't, you, you make a decision today that I'm going to follow God, and then you don't have to keep making that decision when new things, new shiny gold images pop up, and you're wondering, what should I do? Should I fall for that? No, you manage the decision that you made. That's all that they did. They had managed it, but here's the, they, they had a call to faithfulness, and they, and they stood there. But here's the thing. How did, they, how did these young guys who hadn't been, had not been at home for years, how did they, as probably in their mid-30s, How did they stay strong? After knowing all that stuff, being away from home, they could have done anything. Nobody would have known about it. I mean, their parents weren't there, their friends weren't there, their teachers weren't there. Nobody would have known. They were wealthy in Babylon. I mean, they they had power and prestige and position. They could have lived the life and nobody would have known. But what made those guys say, we're not going to do it. We're going to stand for God. Here, here's what happened to happen before that. Before these guys were able to stand alone, someone stood before them. Someone, their parents, stood before them and taught them the word of God. Someone cared enough about them to say, this is what God says. This is the way to go. Walk this way. Walk like some, someone. Someone stood before them. And then as they grew up in that, someone stood up beside them. When they had questions about it, and they're like, I don't really know if this God is really God for us. I mean, look at the nation of Israel. It's not always gone well for us. Then they had questions about the faith. And instead of throwing it away, somebody stood with them, stood next to them and said, I, I, I hear your concerns. I get that question. It's a good question. You should ask me more questions. But here's what God says. I mean, someone stood before them, and then when they were really struggling, probably, like everyone does, about faith, someone stood next to them and didn't just beat them over with the Torah. They walked with them. And then they had to stand alone. Then they had to make the decision that they would listen and they would take it to heart. They would say, this is what God says. 
This is his word. I'll follow it. No matter if anybody stands with me. I won't bow down. I'll even go to the fire. It's a call to faithfulness. It's a call to stand before someone and share the gospel. It's a call to stand with people who are struggling. And it's a call to stand alone. Even when anybody else and everybody else is going a different way. Then, then Nebuchadnezzar is furious. His face turns to them. He may have liked them before, and now he's done with them. He says, get, and he's so mad, he says, get the strongest guys we got and crank up the fire, which just means that they, they, they put it, made it as hot as possible. They bound these guys up. They put hoods over them. They bound them up. They, they took them, and it says in verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace, and they fell in. But before they fell in, these strong, tough guys that threw them in, the flames filled up from the top, and the heat took them out and killed all of them. The, the, the issue was not whether Israel's God could keep his servants alive. The question was, was Nebuch could Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar couldn't even keep his own men al alive, the, the strongest ones He's got, and as they threw them in bound, here they go. They fell bound into the fiery furnace. They had to go into it. Don't get discouraged, or try not to get discouraged, when life makes you go through the fire. When you know God can do something, and then he sends you in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to be bound with no idea of the outcome. They didn't presume on God that he's going to make it all easy for them. If I just stand for God, it's just going to be great. Things will be wonderful. They didn't know what was going to take place. They said, if he can deliver us, but if not, we're going to take the stand. But he, they still had to go into the fire. And God tossed them in, and they fell bound in the fiery furnace, and then there's this huge shock. Nebuchadnezzar, he's, there must have been a spot down at the bottom you could see inside, and he looks inside, and inside he, he's amazed, and he says, hey, w w how many guys did we just throw in there? And nobody could tell him because they're all dead around him, so they have to pull some other guys. Didn't we, how many was it, three or four? It was, it was three, king, yes, you're right. Well, I see four, and one of them looks like the son of God, and they're walking around in there, in the fire, in the furnace that God let him go into, not presuming on God, but trusting in God. And in that fire, to the shock of Nebuchadnezzar, they understood for the first time the promise they'd heard from Isaiah. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What God calls for you and for me in flaming, fiery situations of life is not to presume on what he's going to do, but just to be faithful. To be faithful and to believe the promises that he can carry us and carry you through. And Nebuchadnezzar sees us. He's amazed and he runs down and he calls them out and he announces to them to come 
and they walk out, their hair doesn't smell burnt, their clothes aren't singed. The only thing that fell off from them was the, the ropes that had bound them. It was as if they had never even been in there. It blows Nebuchadnezzar away, and he has a chance again to see who God is. He doesn't convert, but he recognizes the power of God. And basically at the end, he just says, I'm going to let it be a public thing for people to worship Yahweh. I'm going to let it be an okay thing in Babylon to worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because their God sent an angel in there to rescue them. He was shocked by this. God had sent an angel to Egypt to rescue the people of God. God had sent an angel in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego situation to rescue them from the fiery furnace. And in Matthew 13, verses 42 and 43, it says, at the end of time, it says, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. The reality of Christianity is that we need a rescuer from a fire. Those who are walking away from God don't follow God. The Bible says there will be an end that is horrific for them. We need a rescuer. We need a savior. And Jesus is that. He was that. He came. He says, I'll go into the fire for you for your sins. I'll go to the cross. As Nebuchadnezzar set up his statue, Jesus Christ was set up on the cross for us for our sins. He was the one that was rejected. He was the one that was tossed out. He was the one that was fully burnt. He experienced all the wrath of God on him so that we don't have to experience any of it if we turn to him in faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story is just to help us be people who confess the truth, to share with people. The reality is life apart from God leads to death and separation, and Jesus is the answer that they need. No matter as bizarre, as weird, or as hard for them to comprehend, that's the message they need to hear. Not how to be a nice person all the time and just do good. It's, it's Jesus came to rescue you from your sins so that you can have life. It's also for help to help us to choose not to underestimate the power of God. God is able to deliver his people from fiery furnace situations and adversity. God's able to do that for you. Be faithful. And if you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, Matthew 13 is true. At the end of time, those who are apart from Christ will be cast away from Christ for eternity. And the hope is in Jesus. And he took it all for us. A number of years ago, I was in Romania on a mission trip. We were out in this middle of this nowhere town in the middle of nowhere. 
We had some German friends who were there with us, and they, I was talking to them. We were at a convention center, kind of a community center, so there's some glass doors into the community center and some steps, and we're all sitting on the steps talking, and uh, nobody around spoke English. Um, the Germans I was with, they spoke some kind of a little broken English, and I'm sitting there talking to them, and we're getting ready for the service, and as we're talking and messing around and goofing around, and I can't even remember what happened. All I remember is, next thing I know, my elbow goes right through the glass door and shatters it completely. This community door in the middle of nowhere in Romania with nobody I know, I just broke. And pieces are everywhere, and I'm not sure what to do. I got people looking at me, trying to speak words to me that I don't understand. I was concerned. And then through the crowd, this guy who had helped us, he, he spoke very, he says, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, no worries, no worries, no worries, I take care of it, I take care of it. And that was it. I went on through the rest of my trip, no problems, no bills, no cost. He took it all. He didn't break the window, but he paid for the window. He paid it fully and completely so that I didn't have to. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us, for your sins. That cost him everything. He went to the cross for us, and he willingly said, if you turn to me, if you come and see who I am and repent and trust in me, no worries, no worries, I got it. That's our hope, that's the gospel, which helps us see that in the struggles of fiery furnaces, even if God puts you in it, God is able to deliver it and deliver you. Will you trust him?